Good morning, Embassy Church. It's a joy to be with you once again. I bring greetings from Dubai, from Covenant Hope Church. We're so thankful for this church. We're thankful for you all. We're thankful for your prayers. We're thankful for your partnership in the gospel and your support of the work in Dubai. Uh, and so it's, it's a joy to be with you and to open God's word. So if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Proverbs chapter 1. You'll find that on page 494 of the, uh, the Pew Bibles. Proverbs comes just after Psalms. If you open your Bible in the midway point, you'll probably find Psalms pretty quickly, and then Proverbs is just one book over. So we'll look at Proverbs chapter 1. While you're turning there, uh, I wonder how you would answer this question. Don't do that out loud, but just think to yourself, if you could ask God for one thing and be guaranteed that he would not only hear, but that he would answer in the affirmative and give that thing to you, what would it be? What would you ask God for? Now, uh, I'm sure there are lots of answers that are racing through your head. Maybe you even have multiple answers. There's a list in your mind of things that you would ask for. And there's actually lots of good answers to that question, right? If we could ask God for something and be guaranteed it, there's not just one right answer, there's lots of good answers. Maybe some of you are coming in here today and one thing that you have been asking God for or would ask God for would be a change of circumstances. Maybe you would ask God to relieve you from a particularly difficult situation in your life right now. Maybe it's a a difficult uh, set of circumstances. Maybe it's a difficult relationship, and you'd ask God, just change these circumstances. Rescue me out of them. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Or maybe you would be asking for some sort of security. Maybe you feel like life is uncertain and it's unsecure. Maybe you'd ask for some financial stability. Um, Again, not necessarily wrong to ask God. to to provide for your needs. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's clarity. You would love God to just make it clear there's a massive decision you have to make about your life, and you wish that God would make it clear what you should do, what would be best, that God would just tell you what to do. But what's the best thing to ask for? or at least very high on the list of things that would be worth asking God for. You know, a change of circumstances would be great until uh, another scenario comes along and our circumstances change again and they get difficult and we need help once more. Financial security or financial abundance, it can be a blessing. But there are a surprising number of stories out there of people who've won the lottery and it ruined their lives entirely. Go away and Google that. There's actually a list of a lot of people that that's happened to. And even divine clarity about a big decision in your life would be great. It'd be wonderful until you have another big decision to make, right? And then you'd need to go to the Lord once again. So better than a change of circumstances, better than the comfort of financial security, and better than clarity about a big decision in your life, is wisdom. Wisdom. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. 
It's uh, wisdom to know how to handle even the life's most difficult and confusing circumstances. Wisdom to know how to manage our money, whether we have a little of it or a lot of it. And wisdom to know how to make good, godly decisions while we entrust the outcomes to the Lord, even when we're uncertain. As we heard earlier in our reading from 1 Kings, King Solomon was a man who had received wisdom from God, and he was presented with this very offer by God. If you read in 1 Kings chapter 3, a little earlier than, we, than our reading earlier, um, you'll see that he was offered anything that he wanted if he asked for it from God. And he asked God for wisdom, and God gave him more wisdom than anyone who was before him. And so, if you haven't already, please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to read the words of Solomon. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 will be the text that we'll consider this morning. It says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his help as we consider his word here in Proverbs chapter 1. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are the source of all wisdom. And so we come to you now and we ask that you would, by your word, cause us to grow in wisdom. Cause us to know you better and to live in accordance with your will, which is wisdom. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word today. And that you would plant that word deep into the soil of our hearts and that it would grow to produce 30, 60, 100-fold for the glory of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in these opening verses of the book of Proverbs, we get really the essence of the book as a whole. We kind of get a, an, the, the, the main idea of the whole book of Proverbs right here in these opening verses. And the main idea of these verses and the book really is this, fear the Lord to become wise. That's the main point of this sermon. It's the main point of these verses. Fear the Lord to become wise. Verse 1 tells us the title and the author of the book. It says that these are the Proverbs, that's the title, of King Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And 
Solomon, who had received wisdom from God, wrote this book to help God's people grow in God's wisdom. Verses 2 through 6, they spell out the purpose of the book, and it's to find wisdom. And that's our first point. Verses 2 through 6 tell us, find wisdom. It's repeated there if you look back at verses 2 through 6. They all begin with two statements, right? To know wisdom and insight. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction. To give prudence and knowledge and discretion. And so Solomon takes five verses all to say that the goal of the book is to find wisdom. And each of the little turns of phrase and each of the words that he uses unpacks what wisdom is for us and how we can find it. They, they add another uh, stroke to the, to the painting or the portrait of what wisdom is. They add and give a fuller picture for us of finding wisdom. And so what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Well, if we just glance over these opening verses, we see that wisdom has to do with instruction and understanding, insight, learning, knowledge. You know, uh, back when I was in school, both in high school and then again in university, unfortunately I didn't learn this until after I'd left school and university, but I was one of those students who was kind of lazy all year long, and I relaxed And when the exams came, I freaked out. And then for a couple weeks before the exams, I just started cramming. You know that phrase where you're kind of just trying to get all the information to stick in a very short period of time. And if you're blessed by God with a great short-term memory, you can cram a lot in there. You might even be able to pass your exams. I did. But I didn't really understand what I was learning. I just learned it well enough to be able to like spit it out on the paper and get some answers right. By God's very uh, kind grace, I managed to pass my exams. But that's not what Proverbs is talking about here when it talks about wisdom. It's not what he's talking about with insight and instruction. And we see that with this repetition of the word understand. It's, it's there in verse 2. It's in verse 5 and in verse 6. Finding wisdom is a disciplined pursuit of growing in knowing how God's world works and how to avoid living against the grain of God's good design in the world. When we live against the grain of God's design, we mess up our lives. And so there is a content to wisdom. There's an aspect of of knowing facts, knowing truth about God, knowing truth about the way he's designed the world. But wisdom isn't simply knowing and understanding, because wisdom is intensely practical. Look there at verse 3 with me for a moment. Wisdom has to do with wise dealings, as in dealing with difficult people and problems of life. And so when we think about wisdom, as you imagine what wisdom would look like and, and think of a picture in your mind, don't think of some old philosopher who kind of looks a bit like Gandalf the Grey you know, long, bushy beard, white, usually. 
sitting in some high tower with lots of books around him. Instead, Proverbs actually closes. The whole book ends with a picture of wisdom embodied. And if we were to skip there in chapter 31 of this book, we would see a poem in honor of an excellent wife. That's the picture that we get of wisdom here, the embodiment of wisdom. She's trustworthy to her husband. She's praised by her children. She's doing good. She works hard. She provides for her household. She buys property. She sells products. She manages her household well. She isn't idle. She's not just sitting in some tower reading books and daydreaming. No, she's practical. She's working hard. It's a beautiful picture of the way of wisdom. And so wisdom doesn't just train us how to think. Wisdom trains us how to live, how to see clearly and act appropriately when life is perplexing. But then look even further in verse 3. It's wise dealings in something. It says, wise dealings in righteousness, in justice, in equity. In other words, wisdom empowers us to do what is right, just, and fair. And that's what verse 4 means by prudence and discretion. Wisdom helps us to avoid temptation and to be able to recognize the dangers of sin and evil. We considered this even earlier as we heard the reading from James chapter 3, where James, Jesus' brother, he wrote this passage that says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And so, wisdom has a moral component has a a moral aspect. It's not simply being cunning and shrewd and getting life what you want in life. No, wisdom teaches us how to live faithfully under God's rule and righteously before other people, how to treat them right. And so here, here's a simple definition. If you want to write this down, this might be helpful to you. This is a definition of wisdom very simple. Wisdom teaches us how to live under God and before others. How to live under God and before man. And so, friends, do you feel your need for wisdom? I know I do. Does wisdom sound attractive to you? Knowing how to live rightly in the world, knowing how to live wisely in the world should be attractive to us. Wisdom will serve you no matter where you are, no matter what happens to you, and no matter how challenging life gets, no matter how big and difficult that decision is to make, or no matter how small your bank account balance is, wisdom will serve you well. The whole direction of your life depends on whether you find wisdom. 
or not. The outcome of your life depends on it. It affects how you talk to your boss, how you talk to your spouse or to your kids or to your housemates or to your colleagues, your clients, your landlord, even to your fellow church member. But don't worry. You don't have to qualify to receive wisdom from God. It's not like a university that has an entrance exam or maybe that has grades that you must achieve to enroll in the school. No, the, the school of wisdom is open to all. It's for everyone. We see that here in verses 4 and 5. Look there with me. The first group that the author mentions is the simple. They are the gullible. They're the ones who are easily persuaded, and they're paralleled here with youth or, or children. And so you're not too dumb to grow in wisdom, and you're not too young to grow in wisdom. And so if you're still in here, if you haven't left to go to the children's ministry, maybe you're a young person in this room, you're not too young to begin to pursue wisdom right now. I can see some of you. You can grow in wisdom from a young age. This is what the author is telling us. But it's not just for the young and simple. Look in verse 5. There he addresses the wise and understanding to grow in wisdom and to be guided by wisdom. So if you're in here and maybe you have been walking with the Lord for a long time, maybe you do have a lot of wisdom. You've not reached the finish line. You can still grow and pursue wisdom. You never arrive in the pursuit of wisdom. Wisdom we see here is being encouraged for all. It's for the simple and the understanding, the learned. It's from children to grandparents. It's from the stay-at-home mum to the CEO. Everyone needs wisdom to live rightly in God's world. And so how do you find it? How do you do that? How do you seek wisdom? And I want to point out just a couple of things that observations that we see here in these verses. First of all, I want you to see in in these verses that it comes primarily to us in words. And so it requires listening. It comes in words. These foundational verses for the whole book begin and end there at the beginning of verse 2 and at the end of uh, verse 7 with the word instruction, words. And here, instruction is is more like the instruction that a father lovingly gives or a mother gives to a child than the instructions you get with your Ikea furniture about how to put them together. You know, other other passages translate this word instruction as, as discipline. It's the discipline of a loving father or mother for their child. And so to gain wisdom, you need to listen to and receive direction and correction. In other words, you have to be teachable. You have to seek wisdom. You have to want to be taught. You have to ask for it. It's not enough to just hear wisdom if it never is received, if it never actually changes your mind or shapes how you live. And so growing in wisdom, it requires humility. You have to learn. You have to be corrected. You have to admit you don't know. Humility is being willing to receive 
help to receive guidance. Pride hates to be taught because it thinks it already knows. You can't grow in wisdom alone. You need words from outside yourself. You need words from others. And particularly, we need God's word. That's why Solomon wrote this book for his people. And so let me warn you and encourage you You can show up to church week after week. You can hear sermon after sermon. You can have have counsel from a member in the church over and over again. You can even be in total agreement with what you hear. But if it doesn't change you, if it's not received, if it's not listened to, you aren't growing in wisdom. You're hardening into a hypocrite. And so let me ask you, are you seeking to uh, apply the instruction and the correction that you hear from God's Word each week here at Embassy Church? If so, then you're growing in wisdom already. Aim to allow God's Word to shape you. We just sang about that earlier. Shape your thoughts and attitudes, your affections and your behaviors every time you hear it. Pray for that. Ask God to do that. Secondly, you don't grow in wisdom by listening to anyone and everyone. That's actually what the simple or the naive do. You must grow in being discerning about who and what you listen to. Because there's so many voices out there, and most of them are either foolish or evil or both. And as we see in the book of Proverbs, the fool actually speaks a lot. Lady Folly, she cries out in the streets. She promises great things, and she invites people to come and follow her. Folly even can at times sound reasonable, but its end is death. So we must be careful about what we listen to, where we seek wisdom, which voices we allow to speak into our lives and shape how we think, what we feel, what we do. So where do you seek wisdom? Where do you seek, maybe it doesn't come in the word wisdom, but where do you seek guidance about how to live, about how best to live your life? Is it through social media or influencers online? Is it bestsellers on the self-help section of Borders? Or is it in the movies, the, the wisdom we hear from Hollywood or from even from the news? Is it Joe Rogan's podcast? Is it your peers or your colleagues? All of these voices beg to be followed. Friends, be very discerning where you seek guidance for how to live life. You need to weigh what you hear from all these different sources. Some of them you should just straight out avoid, but we have to be careful and weigh what we hear from wherever we hear it in the scales of God's Word and see does it hold up. Let me encourage you to ask your pastors about the voices you are listening to, or a wise saint in the church. Ask them what they think. Even so-called Christian voices are sometimes off track, so be discerning. Here, what we've seen in the book of Proverbs 
The source is King Solomon. We saw that in verse 1. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, and his wisdom came from God himself. God, the source of all wisdom. And the Proverbs, they encourage us to consider God's Word, to receive his Torah, his instructions. But the Proverbs also commend seeking wisdom through wise counselors. See that in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. And we see that even here in verse 6, where it talks about the words of the wise. And so, before you make significant life decisions, let me encourage you to seek counsel from godly people in the church, whose lives you watch and see that they're marked by wisdom. A wise friend of mine says that the best counselors will not make the decision for you. Most of the time, they won't even tell you what they think you should do. They will help you to grow in exercising godly wisdom yourself. They'll ask you questions that maybe you haven't considered yet. They'll identify variables that you haven't thought of. Thirdly, as verses 5 through 6 make clear, growing in wisdom requires effort. It doesn't come effortlessly. Look at verses 5 and 6. Solomon says, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And so, wisdom is a gift that's freely given to all. It's offered to all who would receive it, but it doesn't come effortlessly. It doesn't come without hard work. Verse 6 makes it clear that some of the Proverbs require effort to interpret, to understand. And that phrase there, a saying, is, is in other places it's translated a parable. And the parables can be challenging to, to fully understand. Just ask Jesus' disciples. So often he needed them, uh, they, they needed him to explain them to him, to them. The wise need to keep pursuing wisdom. They need God's guidance even to understand wisdom because it can often feel elusive. Just like a riddle, wisdom can be perplexing. It can feel like a puzzle that needs to be solved. And isn't that so true with our lives? So often we wrestle with things because it's hard. We're confused. We don't know what best to do. But wisdom will grow as we, as we pursue the Lord. So work hard to become wise. Wrestle with the hard truths of God's Word. Don't ignore them. Think about how do they apply to day-to-day -to -day life. Study the Word earnestly and ask how this helps you to live rightly, justly, and fairly towards others. Let me encourage you to come to church eager every week to hear God's Word and have the expectation that God's Word should be shaping you and fashioning you into a wiser person. Find wisdom at all costs. Make that the goal of your life. Now, we've considered the goal of the book to find wisdom, but where do we begin in our quest for wisdom? And that's where verse 7 takes us. It tells us that we begin with the fear of the Lord, and that is the second point of the sermon, second and final point. Fear the Lord. And that's just verse 7. 
there, if you look, verse 7, it gives us what some have called the motto or the thesis statement for you academics out there of the book. It's the main, the main thing that, that Solomon is going to talk about. All of the book hangs on this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, this is the first mention of the Lord or God in the book, and it introduces an essential theme of the Proverbs as a whole, the fear of the Lord. That phrase is repeated many times throughout this book, and it actually frames the book as a whole. It's right here at the beginning, and it also concludes the book with the description of this praiseworthy woman, and she's described as one who fears the Lord. And so if you were to boil down 31 chapters of Proverbs into one little droplet, one drop, with all the practical wisdom about money and marriage, conflict and correction, parenting and purity, this verse would be it. Listen once again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so verse 7, it acts like an anchor for all that the book has to offer. If you lose this, if you lose verse 7, the ship will drift away and be destroyed on the rocks, because the heart of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord here is, we're told, is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, and, and that doesn't mean that it's step one out of ten steps of how to be wise. No, it's more like laying the foundations of a building that holds the whole thing up. Everything else is built upon the fear of the Lord. One commentator put it this way, what the alphabet is to reading and musical notes to playing a song and numbers to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the wisdom that is revealed in this book. And so you can't grow in wisdom without fearing the Lord. Because wisdom is always in relation to God. Remember, I, I told you earlier that wisdom is how to live under God's rule and before man. And so you, as you study the book of Proverbs and as you study the scriptures as a whole, it will all be for nothing. It will be pointless if you do not grow in fearing the Lord, if you don't fear God. And so it's important that we consider that. What, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Usually, we don't think of fear as a positive feeling, do we? But it can be when we're in danger or when there's a good reason to be afraid. In fact, fear might be one of the most powerful emotions that we ever experience, right? I'm sure you can all remember a terrifying nightmare that you've experienced or some something really dangerous that happened that you that got your blood pressure shaking. Let me give you an example. You know, unlike our senior pastor who Etienne prayed for earlier, his name's Brian Parks, I am afraid of snakes. He's not afraid of snakes. I think it's a very reasonable fear. I even think it, it's biblical, right? The snakes, the 
reason we're all in this mess. Snakes can be venomous. They can even be deadly. Did I mention it's biblical to be afraid of snakes, but Brian's not? Well, one summer we were on vacation, and Brian found, uh, we were in Tennessee, Brian found a tree snake, and he went and he picked this snake right up, and it wrapped its, coiled itself around his arm, and I didn't notice, but he came over to me to show it to me, and he's like, hey, Mark, you know, and he holds it up close to my face. I mean, it's probably meters away, but I was terrified, and I darted in the opposite direction. I fled. I was afraid. But is that what it means to fear the Lord? Is that the kind of fear that it's talking about? And I think intuitively we all know the answer is no. But before we get there, just think for a moment about that early part of the Bible, about Genesis chapter 3. That was exactly the kind of fear that Adam and Eve had when they first sinned. They fled from God, didn't they? They ran from him. They hid in terror because they knew that they were unclean and that they stood guilty, that they were condemned. And that is actually an appropriate response that sinners should have before a holy God. But here, and throughout the Bible, the phrase means more than simply the terror of being a sinner before a holy God. It's not less than that, but it's more. Because wisdom is how to live under God's rule, not to run from God's rule. And Scripture calls us to serve the Lord with fear and to rejoice with trembling. And that's why sometimes you'll hear people define the fear of the Lord as awe or reverence. And I think that's helpful. But we mustn't forget the, the first point of the terror that it's appropriate for sinners to have before a holy God. It's, it's not merely being amazed by God, but it's an amazement that actually leads us to draw near to God, not flee, to, to be devoted to God. And here in verse 7, if you look back at verse 7, um, the fear here stands in contrast. It's paralleled with the word to despise. Another powerful emotional word. And so surprisingly, shockingly, the fear of the Lord, it's not opposed to the love of God. But it's love that humbly takes into account all of who God is. He's our holy creator. He's righteous. He dwells in unapproachable light. And it's appropriate to feel a level of, of trembling. It's appropriate to feel that in the presence of an earthly king. How much more the high king of heaven himself. Author David Wells wrote that the fundamental problem in the evangelical world today is that God rests too inconsequentially upon the church. Let me repeat that. The fundamental problem in the evangelical world today is that God rests too inconsequentially upon the church. In other words, the church doesn't fear 
the Lord the way he ought to be feared. The fear of the Lord leads to living in humble submission to God. It's drawing near with reverence, not running in fear. It's listening to the Lord, not ignoring or rejecting his word. It's turning away from wickedness and sin and pursuing what is right, what is just, what is fair. It's realizing that I'm not the king of my own life. God is. It's bowing my knee in obedience before him, not raising my fist in rebellion against him. Sadly, this posture, it's not natural to us. We are born fools. Ever since Adam and Eve chose to become wise in their own eyes, all of us has gone astray. Our wisdom problem is not fundamentally an informational problem, but a relational problem. It's our rebellion against God. And so we must fear the Lord. We must start by acknowledging that we are sinners, that we've rebelled against God's ways, that we've made our own paths rather than following the Lord's, that we've all acted the fool. We begin to fear the Lord when we start to recognize the seriousness of our sin. But by God's grace, he's not left us without hope in our sin, because in wisdom, God sent forth his Son to redeem fools like you and me. The Lord Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. He came in the flesh. He always did what was right and just and fair. He lived perfectly wise life. He delighted himself in the fear of the Lord, Isaiah tells us. He devoted himself perfectly to the will of his Father, even to death on a cross as a substitute for sinners. Jesus Christ came to rescue fools from their foolishness, fools who were headed straight for hell. And in his death, Jesus satisfied the consequences of our foolish rebellion. He bore the judgment that our sins so righteously deserve, and he conquered them through his death and his resurrection from the grave on the third day. He rose in victory to show the wisdom of God in our redemption. This is the perfect wisdom of our God to ransom ruined sinners from the fall. And Proverbs chapter 1, just a few verses later, in verse 29, it tells us that the fear of the Lord is not just a feeling, it's a choice. We must choose to bow in humble submission to the Lord. And so if you are here and you are not a follower of Christ, if you're not a Christian, maybe you're visiting today, don't be foolish. Turn in faith and fear God. Go broken and helpless before him. Humbly acknowledge that you need wisdom that he alone can provide and submit yourself to him. Make that choice today. Make it even now. I plead with you. We all have a choice. We can fear the Lord and flourish, or we can follow the way of the fool who fights against God. You must choose. Which will it be?
Brothers and sisters, we grow in fearing the Lord on our knees at the foot of the cross. At the cross, we're reminded of our lack of wisdom. At the cross, we see God's holiness in the price of our redemption. At the cross, we see God's love in the wise one dying for the foolish ones. And so the church gathers every week to fuel this fear, to proclaim God's truth to one another, to bow before the throne in prayer, to sing of God's holiness, His awesomeness, His righteousness, and to confess, as we did earlier, our sins to one another, to acknowledge them before God, to, and to plead that He would make us wise. Michael Reeves explains why the gospel is such fertile ground, why the cross is such fertile ground for growing in the fear of the Lord. If you want to grow in the fear of the Lord, you must grow in knowing Jesus and Him crucified. He says this, When the awesome magnitude of Christ's forgiveness and the extreme to which He was gone to atone for us, and therefore the terrible gravity of our sin becomes clear to us as they do so clearly at the cross, the right loving reaction becomes so intense, it is fearful. If you want to grow in fearing God, give yourself to studying what Christ has done at the cross. Grace drives us into deeper devotion to God, a fearful love in His presence, not a fear of judgment, but of awe-filled worship. And that's what it means in amazing grace. You know that hymn? Wonder if you've ever considered these words and what they mean. He says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Grace teaches us to fear the Lord and relieves our fears of judgment. But before we conclude, lastly we see in verse 7 the introduction of another final key character in the book of Proverbs, the fool. Unlike the simple who don't know better, fools despise God's wisdom. They reject God's word and his ways. They're unteachable because they refuse to be instructed and they can't be corrected because they think they're always right. And they plug their ears because in their pride they think they know and they have nothing to learn. C.S. Lewis vividly paints a picture of what the proud are like. He says, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And so let me encourage you, Embassy Church, pursue a culture of humble teachability as a church. And we've seen from this text that no one has reached a level of wisdom from which they can't still learn. So share with one another what God is teaching you in His Word. Read hard books together, not just tweets and blog posts. Be eager to receive loving instruction. Don't despise correction. Delight in correction, as hard as that is. Do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Invite brothers and sisters to speak into your lives and to help you and help them follow Jesus more. Ask a wise member who knows you well how they think you could grow in fearing and following the Lord. And this is so crucial. This is so crucial to our call as disciples of Christ is to disciple one another. It's the work that Jesus has given us of making disciples in his great commission. To lovingly instruct, to, to correct. These things should be ordinary parts of our lives, not extraordinary. Even receiving and giving correction should not be an unusual event that we avoid at all costs. That's what the fool does. And so delight even in being corrected and be bold to offer correction in love. Now we started this sermon by considering what you would ask God for if he offered you anything that you wanted. And I hope that you've been persuaded from these verses that wisdom that flows from the fear of the Lord is something that we all desperately need. The amazing thing is that we actually have been promised that if we ask for wisdom, God will grant wisdom. And that when we ask in faith, God will give us wisdom. We heard that in James chapter 1 verse 5 earlier. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. And so, make this a regular part of your prayer life, a regular prayer request for yourself and for this church. Pray that we'd humbly seek wisdom from outside ourselves. Pray that we'd know how to live under God and before men. Pray that we'd have a culture of discipling and instructing one another. Pray that we'd be amazed by who God is and that we would delight to do his will. And pray that we would fear the Lord to become wise. Let's do that right now. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we give you praise as the all-wise God and the source of all wisdom. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to hunger and thirst for wisdom, that we would seek to live wisely in righteousness and justice and fairness, Lord. We pray that you, I pray that you would bless this church with a culture of members who are seeking wisdom and seeking to receive instruction and seeking to be corrected and discipled to be increasingly wise. Oh Lord, would you bless Embassy Church in that way? Would you do it for the glory of your great name? And Lord, we know that these things are only possible because of what Christ has done, that in wisdom he came to redeem us, to set us free from sin and foolishness, and to give us his spirit that we might walk in newness of life, that we might walk wisely. Lord, we praise you for the redemption, for the, the, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.